We're going to read the first 18 verses of James 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brothers boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is turned, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. may be seated. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Will you pray with me this morning as we begin? Father in heaven, your word has much to say about this wisdom, about acquiring this wisdom, about the need for Such wisdom from above. The Bible says that wisdom is the principal thing. In light of that, I pray we would recognize what your word has to say about wisdom and see our need for you each day. Reminded, Father, of the words of the hymn I need thee every hour, every hour. I need thee. Stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. Father, I pray each one here would recognize his need for you and cry out, I need thee. I need thee every hour. I need thee. Father, may your wisdom guard and guide our days as we seek you in prayer by faith, recognizing that you are a good God who gives to all liberally and without 
finding fault. May this people here at Hope in Christ, who are called by your name, pursue you with an undivided heart. Father, I thank you that you are a God who dispenses wisdom. And may we, as your children, continually, regularly, habitually go to you for wisdom that we might know how to walk uprightly and godly in this present age. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor James is writing to scattered flock on the heels of persecution in Jerusalem. And we talked about a few weeks ago, context-wise, what brought about this persecution. We see pieces of that in Acts chapter 7 and 8 when Stephen is martyred. We see a, a few chapters later in Acts chapter 12, King Herod Agrippa I stretches out his arm to harass the church. And it's at that point where James, the brother of John, is killed. The church is scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And we see those comforting words, even in the midst of the scattering. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 8 that even in the midst of their scattering, they were scattered and what were they doing? They were preaching the word everywhere they went. In the midst of this scattering, James wastes no time addressing the needs of the flock entrusted to his care. He begins the letter calling them to a spirit of unmixed joy. Consider it all joy. All joy, count it. Right in the midst of their trials. And he explains to them the need to patiently endure the trials that they face. For God is working in the midst of them. And the call is to allow God to do his perfect work in them as they navigate through their trials. You see, God is desirous to sanctify them, to mature them, to see that they are complete in Christ. In the midst of trials, James tells us that there is a testing of your faith that happens. A testing that puts your faith into the fire. The test that unveils the genuineness of your faith. Is this faith that you speak of real? Church, when you go through a trial, you begin to see whether the faith that you hold to is genuine. Does your faith crumble to the ground and fold up completely when times get tough? What does your faith look like and how does this faith get exhibited to those around you? You see, there's a transition that occurs between verse 4 and verse 5 one to take note of. James has just called his listener to let patience or perseverance have its perfect work that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. The idea is that God would have his way. was reminded there of the hymn, let him have his way with thee. Right? That you would literally lack nothing. The psalmist in Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want I shall not lack because the Lord is my shepherd this morning in the text just give you some simple questions to consider as we work through first of all what is it you need we read an opening's passage of scripture and I hope that one of the things you see from this text that you need we all need every day of our life we need it it's his wisdom what do you need the second question is, where do you turn? And James is going to give us an answer of where to turn. Then we're going to see how to turn. He gives us more specifics, not just where to turn for what we need. But he's going to tell us how, how we do this. And then there's going to be a final question to, to answer. It's one of the takeaways from the text. It's a personalized question. Will you turn? Will you turn? Are you going to respond to what the word has to say? So those are some questions for us to think through and consider as we work through the text this morning. Verse 5 introduces what is oftentimes absent or lacking in the arsenal of the believer in Christ. If any of you lacks wisdom. A conditional statement. 
In the original language, this is known as a first-class conditional clause. means this. It desires the reader to see the truth in what's spoken. This is not an if in terms of whether there might be someone a little short on wisdom in their pending trial. No, this if assumes the listener is in need of such wisdom. Amen? Is there anybody that's got all the wisdom in a certain situation? No, that's not the kind, that's not the if we're talking about here. In fact, to give you an example from another passage in Scripture, that'll be helpful here. Matthew chapter 4, okay? Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Jesus and, 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 and the devil. Remember the encounter. And Matthew 4, verse 3 says, When the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, this is not an if in the sense that the tempter didn't realize Jesus was the Son of God. In fact, when you read the Gospels, I want you to notice this when you read the Gospels. If there was anyone who understood Jesus' identity, it was the demons. They're the ones who are always crying out, the Holy One. They understood. They understood who this Jesus was. Probably a better rendering for us to help, just to be helpful in that Matthew 4 passage would be to insert since instead of if. That's really the idea behind it. Since you are the Son of God. Since. We look here in this text. If any of you lacks wisdom. Oh, the truth is, don't we all lack it? On many situations. Context, James is addressing a scattered flock. But church, I want us to see and I want us to understand even if we're not being scattered by persecution. We need God's wisdom on all matters of life. Amen? All matters. That's why I believe this is so instructive for us this morning. We're not just talking about a situation. Yes, it's good for us to know what the context is. But taking the context and carrying it over into application into our lives, we need God's wisdom every day of our lives. If any of you lacks wisdom, oh, and, and you know, herein may just be part of the problem. Because I think there are some who, who really believe they have everything taken care of. I got this one covered. I can do this one. And we see at the core, pride. An independent spirit. An ungodly way of thinking is cultivated. The idea, remember, is that we would lack nothing. James then, writing to a scattered flock, he calls their attention and directs their gaze toward the Lord at this point. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom. A few helpful passages here on wisdom. I read one early on. We're thinking about wisdom. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Fearing the Lord. God is your authority in life. Do you live under the banner of the fear of the Lord, respecting, admiring, submitting yourself to His authority in your life? Proverbs 3, 7 through 9. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Listen to that verse. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It goes on. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. You see, the storehouse of wisdom is not found in you. He's not advocating a just try harder approach. No. He's putting his pastoral finger, I believe, as he's writing, carried along by the Holy Spirit, on something very significant, not only in the context of his first century listener. He's addressing and bringing to light a great concern that exists in the 21st century. Man's tendency to cultivate a spirit of independence. To do it my way. Or as the slogan is, have it your way, right? We hear those kinds of things all the time. Catering, customizing to your need. The Bible, church, has something to say about doing things your own way. 
Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Or as we read earlier, do not be wise in your own eyes. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord and, listen, the fear of the Lord and departing from evil, they go hand in hand. The wisdom from the Lord manifests itself, listen to this, in actions, James is just going to hammer this throughout the letter. The wisdom from above manifests itself in actions that lead one to walk in the light, not in the darkness. Look at how the proverb writer describes this in Proverbs chapter 2. Oh, this is, this is wonderful here. Proverbs 2. My son, if you receive my words and tre- listen to these words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Listen, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. Isn't that wonderful? That's what God does. That's who this Lord is that we serve. He gives wisdom. From his mouth comes sound wisdom. I want you to look in that Proverbs 2 passage at what he's saying. Listen to those actions. Inclining your ear. Applying your heart. Crying out, lifting up your voice, seeking, searching. Here's the principle. As one is being diligent to work out his salvation, Philippians chapter 2, right? To walk with the Lord that he is enabled to understand the fear of the Lord. One's actions are connected to one's beliefs. James is going to talk about this. He's going to keep coming back to this. The wisdom James speaks of is from above. And he'll get to that in James chapter 3. This wisdom from above is characterized through one's good conduct. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct. conduct. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. James 3. So... If the wisdom from above is characterized through one's good conduct, church, what's that mean? It's evident. It's visible. Noticeable. Wisdom gets put on display. I believe it's helpful to ask the question as we read Proverbs 2. Thinking about your own relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Are you inclining your ear to wisdom? Are you applying your heart to understanding who God is and what his word says? Are you crying out to him for discernment? Are you lifting up your voice to him for understanding? Are the words seeking and searching a regular part of your vocabulary as it relates to pursuing the Lord, Jesus Christ? Is there someone else or something else that you're seeking or searching Instead of the Lord. You know, we could spend the remainder of our time, no doubt, in the book of Proverbs, identifying this wisdom and and seeing wisdom's connection to the fear of the Lord and wisdom's connection to understanding and wisdom's connection to to knowledge. Wisdom is appropriating the truth of Scripture in your life. Wisdom is the application of what you know combined with the unveiling or the manifestation of what you understand. Wisdom takes knowledge and understanding. And here's what it does. It paints a picture. Wisdom paints a picture. The picture is the outworking of your life. The picture can reveal a heart for God and his word. Or perhaps it reveals very little pulse in your life regarding the things of God. The picture puts on display what you treasure most. The picture is your life, your coming, your going, your daily walk. What's the picture of your life look like? What do people see in your life? 
Not, notice I said, not what they hear from you. What do they see in you? Church, it's so important that not only do we say these right things, but we are walking, living, painting a picture with our lives that what we say we believe, we're actually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, endeavoring to walk that way. I believe James is addressing a subject that is all too familiar to his listener. In fact, he's going to continue to address this theme throughout the letter, pointing out the importance of one's faith and one's works. We'll get to that in James chapter 2. What you say you are and how you live out what you say, this is held in very high regard to God. The trials you find yourself in, listen, they're difficult enough to go through. How much more? How much more when you attempt to go through them minus the wisdom of God? If Christ became for us the wisdom of God, according to Paul in Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, how is it that we would content ourselves and be satisfied with only that which we have available to us in our own strength? Remember Samson? Remember how he got himself out of a jam on a couple of occasions? But you remember the day when his hair was cut off? And the Bible says that he awoke and said he was just going to do what he'd normally done. He found out on a day he didn't have the strength to do it, did he? Some of us perhaps have been relying upon our own energies, our own strength for quite some time. And I believe the Lord would have us wake up, help us to be able to see our need. What is our need? Our need is wisdom, the wisdom of God. We need his wisdom. We need to know what he desires for us and how he desires for us to live our lives each day. Church, do you realize that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Colossians 2, verse 3. Do you realize that? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. Being in Christ, why then would you feel the need to go elsewhere for wisdom? Is there another kind of wisdom available? Yes, the Bible says yes. It's called worldly wisdom. James says in chapter 3 that this kind of wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic, and that it's exhibited through envy and self-seeking. And it paints a picture. Look at the picture it paints. It paints a picture of confusion in every evil thing. I don't believe many in Christ desire to paint such a picture of their lives, yet in some, there are some who are in Christ who are seeking wisdom apart from God. And so the question may come, where is it then are you turning? Where are you turning for wisdom these days? Some of you perhaps are turning to a friend, a counsel of a friend. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's an older sibling. Maybe it's an elder. Maybe it's a supplemental book you're reading. Maybe it's something on the internet. Something on a blog, something on a commentary, something on a radio program. Maybe, maybe you are one to seek someone out that you know will readily agree with you about something. And so you like to seek their counsel because you know they're going to be a yes person. You're not really seeking the truth. You just want somebody to agree with you. Maybe some of you don't do any of that. Maybe some of you just rely totally upon yourself and you're content to operate in your own strength apart from God's word. There are a lot of different ways, a lot of different directions we can turn for wisdom. How can it be that the one in Christ forsakes the way of wisdom from above? The point here is that James is making, he's making a very clear point, I believe, in the text. Wisdom is lacking. Yes, it's lacking. And wisdom is needed. What do you need? You need wisdom. All the days of your life. But know that wisdom is readily available to you. It's readily available. If we keep reading the text, we'll come to see this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Where do you turn? God. Ask of God. That's where you you turn. And you know, church, there are not too many these days asking of God. Perhaps there's something to be said here about the prayers of the saints. 
asking of God for this wisdom that is lacking, a wisdom needed not only for trials but for all of life. Is there a time in your life when you don't need God's wisdom on some situation in your life? Is there ever a time when you would say to God, God, I got this one, I can take care of this one? So if God's wisdom is necessary for living this life of faith, then why don't we ask him more often for such wisdom? Why aren't we on our knees more before the Father asking of him for wisdom in our situation? What is it to ask of God? When the text says ask of God, what are we talking about? Church, what are we talking about? Prayer. Let's just make this simple. It's prayer. That's what we're talking about. Praying to God. Asking of God in prayer. What are the implications as you consider a trial, perhaps, in your path? I want us to to know some things about about prayer, why we ought to go to God in prayer. God desires for you to cast your cares upon him. Did you know he cares for you? 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7 tells us that. He desires for us to cast our cares upon him. God desires to work in you, both to will and to do according to his purpose. He's doing that. He's working that in you. Philippians 2, God desires relationship with his children through Jesus Christ. John chapter 10, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. There's relationship. In relationship, there ought to be communication. God already knows the things you have need of before you ask. Matthew 6 verse 8 says, therefore the emphasis here in the asking is not necessarily the content spoken to the Lord, but listen, a willingness to obey what he's called you to do. In fact, in that same Sermon on the Mount text, which by the way, side note, James, if you read the book of James, you'll see lots of parallels to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you read James, and you read James, and you can pull and go back to Matthew 5, 6, and 7 a lot. Remember, James is the brother of Jesus. Just an important side note there to keep in mind as you're reading James. But you see in Matthew 6, 5 through 7, the scripture assumes that a believer in Christ prays. Assumes when you pray. When you pray. There's an assumption there. A Christian, this is what a Christian does. In that same Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, God desires for you not only to pray, but God desires for you to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking. James shows his listener what's needed in the midst of their trials. It's wisdom. He then turns their attention to the source of wisdom, the need. Ask of God. Now he describes who this God is. This is wonderful. He's a God who gives. He is a giving God. Praise the Lord. He is a giving God. Titus 2.14, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. Galatians 2, verse 20. In the life which I now live, Paul says, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and what? Gave himself for me. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He is a God not only who gives, but the text says he is a God who gives to all. John 3, 16, for God so loved, who? The world that he gave his only begotten son. He gives to all who call upon his name in faith. He is no respecter of persons. He shows no partiality. We see he's also a God who gives to all. How does he give to all? Liberally, generously. Sincerity, straightforward, or this idea of with a single-minded purpose and focus. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, I love this passage. He says, Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He gives liberally, generously. And this grace that Paul describes is best summed up in Jesus' single-minded focus while here on earth. John 4, verse 34. My food, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. 
You see, Jesus had a single-minded focus of pleasing the Father with his life, which led him to a cross, and he willingly laid down his life for the sheep. But Jesus is not the only one who shares this single-minded purpose. The Holy Spirit has a single-minded purpose as well. Turning your attention to the things of Christ. Christ is about pleasing the Father. The Spirit speaks only that which is given to him by Christ. I want you to see that God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are generous, gracious, sincere, single-minded about their purpose. Oh, and that's going to be a wonderful contrast here in just a moment. Because James is going to talk about one who is double-minded. When you ask of God, you can know that you are asking one who is single-minded in his approach to giving. He's waiting. There's an imperative in the text. The imperative is to ask of God. He is a God who gives to all liberally, but no two in the text. He's a God who gives to all without reproach or without finding fault. Praise the Lord for this. You know, when something happens in your life and, and you have this feeling that others may be quick to jump to conclusions about what you've done, you might not want to share the news with someone. You might be fearful of what man might think. We've all been in that situation. When you ask of God for wisdom, you can know for certain that he is a God who finds in you no fault. He's not going to say, hey, hey, I'm not giving you any of my wisdom until you get your act cleaned up. Come back in two years and then I'll see whether or not I'll give you any of my wisdom. Church, this is a wonderful, comforting part of the text. This God to whom we go, asking for wisdom, wisdom from above is what we're seeking on our situation, amen? That's what we're seeking, This God is not going to berate you and condemn you and shame you. The imperative, listen, the imperative is to ask of God. God has not called you to ask of him for wisdom so that he can bonk you and find fault with you. His desire, listen, his desire for you to ask of him is complemented. I love this. It's complemented with his desire to hear from you. From the heart. The Lord knows the hearts. Words speak doesn't do it. How many of you sons go to your fathers for wisdom on a regular basis? Daughters, how many of you are going to your mothers for wisdom on a regular basis? Seeking the counsel of your earthly father and your mother. Just as a a child-parent relationship is predicated on communication. Fathers, the Bible says, having the hearts of their children. How much more God desires to have relationship with his children. How much more does he desire to hear our hearts and have us turn to him for wisdom which is readily available and he's ready to give? The verse is not done, though. If you keep reading verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So we see that he is a God who makes good on his promises. Amen? Isn't that wonderful news? He is a God who makes good on his promises. The Bible gives examples of God's promises on display. In fact, if you turn for just a moment to 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3, 1 Kings chapter 3, we see that Solomon is in Gibeon. Verse 5, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. Listen to what God says to him. Listen to this. Ask, what shall I give you? God said that to him. Ask, what shall I give you? If you keep reading, verse 9, Solomon says, Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. 
For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Well, it pleased the Lord that this is what Solomon said. Verse 12 then, we see, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart. And then we fast forward and we see that from verse 16 through 28, this situation where the two women, remember that? They brought the baby. There was a dispute over whose baby. You remember what Solomon does? He says, bring me the sword. They brought a sword. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half the other. The verse I want to point out to you in regard to wisdom is verse, verse 28, the last verse of the chapter. All Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered. Listen to this. And they feared the king. For they saw, they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. They saw it. It was evident. It goes back to what we talked about earlier. Wisdom is visible. You can see it. There's an outworking to it. We see it also in the life of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 17, these four men, the Bible says, God gave them. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and what? Wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And it, you remember the, the situation where there was the writing on the wall in Belshazzar and he couldn't figure it out. None of these people could figure it out. So he calls Daniel. And in and, chapter 5, verse 14, Daniel's before him and he says these words. He says, I have heard of you. That the spirit of God is in you. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Someone told Belshazzar about Daniel. That this was a man of wisdom. There was something about Daniel they saw. Led them to believe he was a man of wisdom. You see the people saw Solomon's wisdom in the way he judged the people. The king heard of Daniel and summoned him into his presence and after hearing him personally interpret the writing on the wall he too witnessed the wisdom of God or the spirit of God put on display in his life. James is calling this scattered flock to the one true God who alone can turn your situation. You need your situation turned? God's the one to turn to. And that's what James is calling the flock to. He's the one who gives this wisdom from above. James is calling the listener to ask of God. And he inserts these two characteristics of this God. He's a God who, who gives simply with a single-minded purpose. And a God who gives without reproach. After calling them to ask of God, James then highlights God himself. Which is key as we get to verses 6, 7, and 8. He then turns their attention on what this God will do. He calls their attention to the nature of this God. He is a God who will make good on his promises. You know, there's a writer who said this. He said, descriptions of God from the word help us think correctly about him. Promises help us hold on to him and trust. I'll say that again. Descriptions of God from the word help us think correctly about him. Promises help us hold on to him and trust. Church, have you noticed all the people today searching for a sure thing? They're looking for something they can latch on to. Stock markets, casinos, lottery, business ventures perhaps. People are looking for a sure thing. They're looking for something to invest in. They're seeking some kind of anchor, a solution, something to turn their current situation. Many are seeking things they think will provide them pleasure and lasting contentment. If you are in Christ, you put off the old and put on the things of Christ. If you are in Christ, you are fleeing those things you used to rely upon and now pursuing the things of Christ. In Christ, you are now setting your mind, Colossians 3, on things above, not here on earth. In Christ, you have a sure, solid foundation you already have a guarantee of victory if you are in Christ Jesus and so having Christ are you content with him alone church song we have sung here before knowing you Jesus there is no greater thing you're my all you're my best you're my joy 
my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. Colossians 2.9 says it this way. Paul says, you are complete in him. Church, it's good to know this morning you're complete in him. When you are in need of his wisdom on a situation in your life, you can be assured based upon the truth of God's word that you are complete in him. If you are in Christ, you have the greatest counselor available to you in the Holy Spirit. Ask of God and it will be given to you. What is it exactly that he's promising to give you? It's important we understand this. One writer, I think, says this well. He says he promises wisdom, namely the ability to discern how he would have us live. This is not an unqualified statement that everything we ask for will be given to us. This is not one of those, you know, to be given. No. Rather, that we will receive the practical knowledge and understanding that we need to endure our trials when we ask the God whom we know gives without hesitation. You see, James addresses the scattered flock, showing them where to turn for this wisdom. But now he explains to them in these final three verses how to turn, how to do this. But let him ask, here are the key words, in faith. That's how. In faith. With no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. Who gives this wisdom? God does. Where does the Bible call one to turn when you lack wisdom on a situation? Ask of God. Pray. How? James shows his listener where to turn. Now he's showing him how to turn to God in prayer. How do we do this? What is it? Here's the question. What is it to ask of God in faith? If you're reading the text, I hope you ask that question. What does it mean to ask God in faith? Let me give you four things. First of all, it stems out of a confidence in God, who he is. Recounting his wonderful works. Confidence in God. Asking in faith also with a certainty in Christ. Who he is. His life. His death. The cross. The empty tomb. The realization that your debt of sin has been paid in full through Christ. Third. A reliance upon the Holy Spirit. The Spirit indwells us if we are in Christ and reminds us only of the things of Christ. Prayer, in fact, Ephesians 6.18, our prayer ought to be in the Spirit, right, as well. Pray in faith, pray in the Spirit. Paul calls for that as well in Ephesians 6.18. A reliance upon the Holy Spirit. What is it to ask of God in faith? A reliance upon the Holy Spirit working in you. But there's also a fourth thing, I believe, and that's an assurance of His Word. His word, John 17, 17, Jesus praying to the Father and he equates the word with truth. And so when he says, James, that is, he's talking about asking of God. Here's where you need to turn. And then he says, here's how you turn. You ask in faith. What's that mean? To give you a simple biblical definition. I enjoy turning to Romans 4, 21 and 22. It's in the context of Paul talking about Abraham and the promises of God. And in verse 21 and 22, Paul says, and being fully convinced, being fully convinced. That's, that's, that's a good definition here of what it means to ask in faith. Being fully convinced that what he, God, what he promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness to Abraham, that is. Are you fully convinced that what he promises he is also able to perform? Are you asking in faith? Asking in faith is asking with a recognition and awareness of who it is to whom you pray. Do you know this God to whom you pray? Or are you huddling around him only when trials come? Are you quick to pray when things aren't happening the way you'd like them to? Is prayer an alternative to navigating through your trials? Is it just an option 
for you? Is prayer your last option when all other avenues come up empty? Are you asking of God like that father who said to Jesus, if you can do anything, if you can do anything. Remember the disciples of Jesus couldn't do anything. So the, the father just said, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Mark 9, 22. Jesus' disciples, they couldn't do anything about this man's son. And the epilogue to the story tells us why. Jesus says, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. The key to what Jesus is saying is this. You couldn't take care of the situation because you entered into the situation using your own resources. I want you guys to know something, Jesus says. I have all the resources you need if you will just ask me. Do you realize that God through Jesus Christ provides all the resources necessary for your situation? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 that he has, God's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The writer says that asking in faith is a continuing confidence in the identity and nature of our God. James is quick to contrast the asking in faith with doubting. What is it to doubt? Doubting translates a word that basically means to, to differentiate. In various passages of scripture, it can connotate judging or disputing or in a, in a middle voice context to dispute with oneself, to waver, to go back and forth. In fact, James is going to use that word in, in James chapter 2 verse 4 talking about some who have shown partiality, who have made a judgment or distinction. The word suggests then, it's, a, it's important we understand here, not so much an intellectual doubt as a basic conflict in loyalties. As for instance, between God and mammon. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew six twenty four, Or as for instance, James chapter 4, verse 4. God and the world. Where do your loyalties lie? James, as he's contrasting this asking in faith versus asking and doubting, he moves on to show his listener a picture of the one who doubts. Notice he takes up this idea of one who doubts and he gives us a picture of this person. And I so much appreciate this about James because he's oftentimes very clear and he uses these vivid everyday life examples of what he's addressing. Notice the picture that he paints for us right here. Here's what this person looks like. He looks like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Do you picture that? Can you see that? A wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. What's the essence of what he's getting at here? picture here, one writer describes this, I believe, is, is very accurate. Not simply of a wave mounting in height and then crashing to the shore. But of the swell of the sea, he says, never having the same texture and shape from moment to moment. But always changing with the variations in wind direction and strength. What's the bottom line here? This doubter is unpredictable. If you look at verse 7, he continues speaking to the doubter. For let not that man, the doubter, suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Asking in faith is what's called for here. Asking of God with doubting. James goes on in verse 8 to further describe this man. He's a double-minded man. He's unstable in all he does. The double-minded man, we could refer to the double-minded man as a hypocrite. A hypocrite. Double-mindedness is placed in James chapter 4 in the category with sinners. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It describes, one writer says, a person who is divided and distracted in his thoughts, floating between two different opinions, as if he had two minds or two souls. We're reminded in Kings chapter 18, verse 21, Elijah, and remember that, the prophets of Baal. Do you remember that story? Elijah had gathered them all together and he came to all the people and he said, how long will you falter? How long will you waver between two opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Text says the people answered him not a word. You see, just as in the day of Elijah, we live in the midst of people who are faltering, wavering, teetering on the fence in regard to God. For one in Christ, the question has already been settled. The Lord, He is God. You know, that's why in Deuteronomy, did you ever figure that out? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, those familiar words in Deuteronomy chapter 6, before they go over and go into a land filled with multiple gods, what's the first thing that's, that's spoken there? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let's be clear on who God is. Because there's a lot of people out there that are muddy in the waters with who God is, with who this Jesus is, with the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Can we be clear on this? In your asking of God for wisdom, it's your belief and settled confidence in God that allows you to boldly come into his presence as a result of Christ, as a result of his finished work at the cross. And James shows you your need. It's wisdom. You need wisdom. He then shows you where to turn, but he also instructs you on how to turn. Turn in faith, not doubting, not wavering, not teetering on the fence. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What's the role of the Holy Spirit? And what's the word say? Walk in it. Hebrews 3 and 4. You remember the Bible says right there that there are some who did not enter into God's rest. You remember that? Why didn't they enter God's rest? The Bible says because of unbelief. And James puts forward the imperative to ask of God, but to go into his presence with confidence in who God is, certainty in who Jesus is, reliance upon the Holy Spirit, and an assurance of God's word that it's truth. Asking of God in faith is contrasted to asking of God in doubt. To ask in a wavering manner is to think less of God, to profane his name, to reside in a state of unbelief about who God is according to his word. The double-minded man, one writer says, he lies clearly in opposition to the pure, single-minded nature of God shown in verse 5. This God who gives to all. Notice that the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In all his ways. What's that mean? Well, shows, shows this person, the picture of this, this double-minded man, he is... Consistently inconsistent in his life. How's that? That's, that's the picture of him. This, per, listen, this person may not be someone who is just outrightly rebellious, but he is not dependable. He's aloof sometimes. He's not engaged in the things of the Lord. He's perhaps a Sunday attender at the church building, but he's not really all that interested in the church. He's unstable, restless, vacillating, unpredictable. He's the person who may like the Bible, likes the idea of the Bible, but takes no delight in feeding on these words of life. He's the person who's trying to seek the American dream, and at the same time, he's saying yes to passages like, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, or blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Oh yes, those are good. This double-minded man, he's unstable, he's unsteady, he's characterized by unbelief. Get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. How? What's the Bible say? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Turn to God for wisdom that you need to navigate this brief life. It's short. But turn to God in faith. Believing who he is, being fully convinced that what he has promised, he is able to perform. Are you fully convinced of God this morning? Are you fully convinced of who Jesus is and what he's done? Are you fully convinced about the promised Holy Spirit and his work in ministry in the life of one in Christ? If you have Christ in you, and the spirit of Christ in you. Are you fully convinced of your need for wisdom in the midst of your trial? 
as a summary to this text, one writer kind of boils this down. It says this verse, this context of these passages here in 5 through 8, sheds further light on the original question of who is a doubter and what it means to be double-minded. These are people who are unwilling to let go of the world and truly follow Christ. Torn between, vacillating, right? Torn between sin and disobedience. Excuse me, sin and obedience. Reluctant to let go of the pleasures of the world for the sake of discipleship. This description hits close to home in an age of nominal Christians who attend church from time to time, perhaps even regularly, but who refuse to, who refuse to let God interfere with their daily lives and agenda. Ask, seek, knock. Will your earthly father give you a stone when you ask for a fish? Your father in heaven, church. How much more will he give good gifts to those those who ask? Wisdom is needed. Man is to ask of God in faith and not waver. And God... He promises to give wisdom, the wisdom that's needed on your situation. Do you believe him? Will you trust him? The question needs to be asked. How long, church? Just like the question Elijah asked. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long? Make today the day that you seek and search and incline your heart and cry out and lift up your voice to God in prayer. In short, ask in faith. Believe. And know that he will do what he has promised. What do you need? Wisdom. Where are you going to turn? Ask of God. How are you going to turn? Ask of God in faith. The question remains, will you turn? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would grant us grace. every day of our lives. Fathers, we wake up in the morning as we go about our day that we would be diligent to ask of you for wisdom that we so desperately need. Father, forgive us for the days that we wake up and we go full speed ahead without even acknowledging you, without even acknowledging our need for you, without acknowledging our need for your wisdom on our day. As Hezekiah spread his bad news out before you that day long ago, I pray, Father, that we too would be diligent each day to spread before you our day and to ask of you to grant to us in faith, that we would ask in faith, according to your will, according to what we know of you, according to what we know of your son, according to the spirit working in us, according to the truth of this word. Oh, Father, I pray it would be our desire to walk in wisdom, that we would have this wisdom from above and it would be exhibited in our lives, that the picture that gets painted with lives here at Open Christ, people would be able to see very clearly the hand of God in our lives and know that there's something different about this person because they're operating not in their own strength, but the hand of God is upon them. Oh, Father, I pray we would ask you for this wisdom and we thank you for this wonderful promise that when we ask in faith, it will be given. Oh, Father, I pray we would see in that not a license just to ask you for everything and anything, 
Because we'll see in James chapter 4, the, one of the reasons we don't get what we ask for is because we ask amiss. We are asking to satisfy our own pleasures. Oh, Father, I pray we would be most concerned about asking for those things that are going to be in line in accordance with your word and your will. So, Lord, I pray that you would grant to us each an understanding of your will, that we might be able to walk, but, Lord, also that we might know how to pray. Father, I pray that each one here would be quick to turn their hearts to you in prayer, to acknowledge not a spirit of independence, but a spirit of dependence upon you for all things in this life. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.